0: Welcome to the Coast to Coast Podcast, my name is Kyle.
1: And I'm Misha, and today we're going to be talking about the new movie, The Good Liar, as well as the premiere of Disney Plus, and more specifically, one thing that we've both been really uh, excitedly anticipating, uh, the Disney series, The Mandalorian. Uh, but Before we get into that, what's uh, what's the half's with you, Kyle?
0: Um, not much is going on. Um, like you said, Disney Plus came out, so I've been watching a bit of that. Um, the yeah. What are your
1: What are your thoughts so far?
0: So, I really like the content that they have. I'm not really big into um. I mean, the Marvel stuff is cool, but yeah. I've I've watched so many of those movies that I they all kind of run together to me. But I've been watching a lot of like the Disney Channel original movies, <laughs> like Smart House, like Smart House, like um, the Irish. Yeah, all those. So I I added them to my list um that i have um but what about your general thoughts for disney plus
1: yeah i guess um from like a ux experience experience i think it's nice you know it's familiar for people which is good and then i think the content is really cool um obviously it's something that disney fans have been waiting for for a long time but to be honest i was actually surprised i thought there would be more content because i feel like the disney arm kind of or the disney umbrella touches a lot more um But, yeah, I think, like yourself, I was kind of surprised. It was almost like a surreal experience to look back and, like, see some of these TV shows that I hadn't watched since I was, like, basically in, like, elementary school, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So, like, That's So Raven or Smart... uh, What's the the one with the... Is it Smart Kid? Or Smart Smart Guy? Smart Guy, yeah. Yeah. Um, So that was pretty cool. But, yeah, I haven't really had a chance to... uh, to go through too much of it I've been adding a lot of stuff to my list it was kind of a busy work week so um, the stuff that I did get to watch were some of the new Pixar shorts that they released which I don't know if you've had a chance to check them out but I think they were created specifically for the release of Disney Plus mm-hmm. um, Plus. and there's like three or four new shorts that are pretty cool that just came out as well
0: nice yeah a lot of the Disney Channel movies that I watched um, definitely were better from like a side of like nostalgia and like what i remember yeah. them being and instead of actually sitting down and watching them and be like oh jeez,
1: what is this <laughs> i know yeah the The quality is like not quite what i remembered like i remember before disney plus we'd actually i think me and chan had like rented luck of the irish at one point and like i just remembered it as being like this awesome movie and <laughs> being like sorely disappointed as like a young 20 something mm-hmm. to look back and and see the quality of it but yeah, I mean, it's cool. Um, How do you like the like layout? Yeah, I think the layout's pretty cool. I mean, it's pretty... It feels kind of borrowed from Netflix, and, like, you know, each row is, like, a theme or a category, um, and then it has sort of, like, a suggestions algorithm, but um, I've I've enjoyed it so far, and then even, like, the player itself, being able to um, have pretty easy access to, like, language controls... Um, and just like control over fast forwarding and things like that I, I like the layout so far what about you
0: um they are missing a continue watching section um yeah i've noticed that a few times like even when i was watching some movies i would pause it um or come back the next day and then it's not there so i have to go back in and find it and then start it and sometimes it resets it so i have to start over and then fast forward through, like, the first 30 minutes that you've seen.
1: Yeah, my experience so far has been everyone that I've, every, like, show or movie I've exited while watching, I've had to, it's like reset it. I don't think it has, like, a, it'll, like, let you continue from the point that you last were watching. Hmm. Um, That's interesting. So I'm sure, I'm sure they'll pick that up from users and probably address it at some point. But um, so far, I think it's cool. I mean, like, Within certain categories, there's limited content. So, like, when you get done watching, for instance, when I got done watching the first episode of The Mandalorian, everything in the suggested was, like, a Star Wars movie. <laughs> it had, like, all set, all, like, eight Star Wars movies. Mm-hmm. But I thought that was funny.
0: Yeah. It's
1: it's a good platform.
0: Again, if you don't have Disney+, Plus, there's ways to get it. Um, if you, I think Verizon right now, if you have their phone plan or if you even have just their internet then you get a free year of disney plus for free
1: yeah we're uh we're sharing it with a friend we don't have verizon otherwise we we'd do it but i've heard for some people that have taken verizon up on that
0: mm-hmm. and i think the only time i've seen it not available is on certain like smart tvs so if you don't use like a roku or a amazon mm-hmm. fire stick or apple tv um I think only the Samsung and LG smart TVs let you download it to your actual television. Otherwise, you just need to get some sort of Chromecast or... I mean, we both use Apple TV, which is worth it, I think.
1: Yeah, I have an Apple TV, but we've actually been watching on our LG smart TV as well, like you said. So we downloaded the the TV app and have been using that. Um, But yeah, it's been working pretty well. Well,
0: speaking of things that are working pretty well... um, did you want to jump into something that didn't work very well?
1: Yeah, so let's transition into our thoughts on The Good Liar. Um, so The Good Liar released, was it this Friday? This Friday, yes. Um, and so it's a Bill Condon directed film starring Ian McKellen um, and Helen Mirren and Ian McKellen basically plays this <laughs> I guess you'd call like a geriatric con man <laughs> who <laughs> Uh, meets Helen Mirren on this like elderly dating site, um, and sort of identifies her as a mark, and it's kind of about um, that relationship and his um, con. Um, but what are your general thoughts, Kyle, after seeing seeing the film? Um, so it's the
0: film is I enjoyed it, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. Um, there were some twists and some turns, which some didn't land quite as well as some other ones. Um, but I think that the movie is a good, just kind of need something to go see. You've seen what else is already out there. Check out the, um, I guess the good liar again, Ian McKellen and Helen Mirren are both phenomenal actors. So there's no, um, fall shorts when it comes to acting in this movie, but definitely the plot has some major holes in it.
1: Yeah, there were definitely like the plot holes. I guess like you're right in that it was. I, I, don't, know, actually, I don't know. I don't know. How I would call it like that entertaining. Um, to me, the one thing that I noted while I was watching was that like the movie felt as like gray and old and slow and boring <laughs> as like the central cast of characters, which you know keep the plot moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um. Because, I mean, it's really about, like, an elderly couple meeting on a dating site. And there's, like, an element of, you know, Ian McKellen's character's criminal past that plays in and makes it a little exciting. But it almost feels like it as if you were to take some sort of, like, true-life crime thriller and, like, really hone it into this, like, older target audience. Like, the the theater that I was in was full of, like, seniors. Yeah, mine. Mine, too. (laughs) Yeah, and... I think that's probably a desired effect on the part of the filmmakers, but yeah, I just, I don't know. It never really got going for me. Yeah. So f- for, well, I
0: guess we could say, so the film, it's set in, in London in 2009. Um, mm. I'm not sure why that was chosen. Yeah, that was uh, weird to me too. Um, The film, as you said, it opens as two people, older are finding themselves chatting on this dating website and then they agree to meet for like a casual dinner um so you kind of see them like working out some quirks online like they're one smoking one's drinking they both say they're non-smokers not drinkers um and that's kind of funny i guess and then they come together and there's like a bit of initial awkwardness and you realize they're both using fake names and they hit it off pretty quickly but this whole initial scene Um, it was still kind of awkward for me to watch. Like, is this maybe how an older generation perceives like online dating maybe?
1: Yeah, I don't know. It was weird. And the online dating thing to me was also strange as you're seeing them like type their responses to each other. Mm -hmm. Like they got really deep, really quick. Um, (laughs) So I think like one of the first messages that they're sending back and forth was like talking about how her son died. Um, and then he like responds with how his son's not in his life anymore and like Mm -hmm. they're just like cutting straight to the point I don't know if that's like an elderly thing where you just like skip the pleasantries and you're just like But but yeah, I don't know Was that part to me was a little strange.
0: Yeah, and their relationship isn't Or is it's not necessarily romantic per se. I mean, so Mm -hmm. Betty just lost her husband a year earlier And doesn't really seem ready for something like along the lines of a romantic uh, relationship. I think in her profile she put like companionship that she preferred, Mm -hmm. Um, but they become companions close enough so that when Roy's knee acts up one night, you know Betty doesn't think twice about letting him spend spend the night at her house, which was hmm.
1: yeah, I guess you know it all kind of plays into. Obviously Roy has this sort of plan with he, he's an experienced con man, so everything that he's doing is like orchestrated and, and thought through. Mm-hmm. Um and to me it's like when he sees that she's willing to let him stay in her house that she bought in cash, like he that's like what makes him easy to identify her as like this susceptible mark for one of his cons.
0: Right. How uh, how nice of her to mention she bought it in cash.
1: Yeah, it seemed maybe a little um like inten- like intentional or well thought through, but
0: mm-hmm. And then yeah. we meet um her grandson Steven, who is like instantly suspicious of, suspicious of Roy and worries that his grandmother is going to like rush into things too quickly and I I didn't think that his concern was all that warranted, like from the moment he met Roy, Stephen was, like, jumping down the dude's throat. Like, did that seem yeah, odd to
1: you? That led me to believe that maybe he, maybe, like, Stephen was involved in some sort of, like, criminal background. Because maybe he that's, like, how he would have heard of Roy's reputation as a con man or as part of this, like, criminal underbelly of London.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but, yeah, I think it was kind of a pretty frequently used device in that, like someone like notices what they seem like to understand is someone's true intentions. And then the other character just like wholeheartedly doesn't believe them. Right. Um, and do you want
0: to get into spoilers at this point? Should we kind of make that disclaimer?
1: Yeah, I think we could. Um, yeah. I guess generally to me, this is um, a movie that you could probably wait to see out of theaters. Um, there's quite a few that probably play better to screen like Ford versus Ferrari that are coming out this week. Um, like Kyle said, I think it was pretty well acted, um, but there were just some strange twists and plot points that didn't really seem to land. Um, so that's kind of, I guess, general thoughts before we get too into spoilers.
0: Right. So going into spoilers now, um, I guess, now that I'm thinking about it, Steven's initial and constant suspicion of Roy, maybe that was intentional like, it, his role is to try to get Roy to uncover who he truly is, you know, and that kind of plays along with their plan.
1: Yeah, I think it is, you know, that's, that's a good point. I, this is why, like, when it comes to the twist at the end, it's hard to really, like, evaluate which parts really made sense, because to me, the suspicion from Steven would actually do more maybe to quell uh you know it it would like put more risk into their their plan Mm. into him and helen mirren's plan yeah it's just
0: yeah it was it was fine i guess the again the trailers that we saw to me like it eliminated that initial twitch twist that um betty is also like playing roy Mm-hmm. We see that in the trailers, like we from watching the cuts that they've put and the words that she uses in the trailers, you obviously know that there's another twist happening, so for the third act twist to come along where I guess she had known him his their whole life, how he used to be a tutor for her, et cetera, et cetera, like that wasn't that didn't land well enough since I already knew the initial plot twist right it didn't you know. Make that didn't sense. really
1: blindside you as much.
0: Right, it's like, oh, okay, well, if the twist was that they're playing each other and then you have this other twist that they knew each other for their whole lives, like, that didn't outweigh me already knowing what's going to happen.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, like, the twist didn't work because elements of how the twist plays into her future actions don't really connect, right? Like, if she knew who she was and she was trying to like make him susceptible and like target him then why like how come they like randomly met on a dating website at the beginning of the the film right Mm -hmm. like didn't that seem weird
0: yeah it was in retro in Mm -hmm. retrospect
1: yeah not that he mentioned it um but yeah i guess so obviously the twist is that you know she knew him from a past life when he was her tutor and he like Kind of, I don't know if they're trying to portray him as like a psychopath or something, mm-hmm. but he essentially like raped her when he was rejected by one of her sisters. Um, and then that was like what caused all of this, like this plan for her to get her retribution on him. Um, but to me, like movies that have twists where they have to like explain the whole twist away with like elements of the film that weren't there before don't land quite as well with me when they're just like, oh, well, this happened because like x y and z that you didn't really understand from the like the previous parts of the film um you know I think it's it's a lot more effective when the twist happens when there's like elements of the twist developing like right in front of your face right not just omitting
0: certain facts just to explain them later and be like oh well you didn't understand because Mm -hmm. this is the reason why it's like well yeah I didn't get that because you left that part of the movie out you left that part of the plot out so, you, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're revealing, like, this twist, and, like, I don't know if it's maybe, like, the director's kind of, I think, like, the audience isn't smart enough to figure it out, but there's definitely a lot smarter ways to reveal twist that, mm. let like, just let the audience figure it out, don't reveal it to us, and claim that the movie was smarter than the audience, because you, in fact, left out things that would make me understand what's happening.
1: Right and then basically just, like, spoon-feeding the twist to everybody and, like, narrating all of its, its mm-hmm. like, points. Right. like, it's like think... oh, no, Steven isn't my grandson, but he was just, like, investigating you. And, like, it's like, <laughs> what? Like, yeah. It was just weird. Uh-huh. Um, and that happens but, a yeah. lot in,
0: in these sort of silly thrillers um, where you have, like, the the person that's being victimized is well I don't understand I, I don't get it why are you doing this and then the bad guy or whatever you want to call them just explains the entire like plan
1: <laughs> yeah exactly uh, and nice. then like the like besides the, the dynamic between Helen Mirren and Ian McKellen like there were other parts that weren't believable like when they conned um, when him and his um his like business partner conned those two guys that they were supposedly in cahoots with, and the way that they, like, basically made the people discover that they were being um like, trapped by the police was they gave him, like, a hug, and he, like, felt the guy's wire on his back. And it's, like, the whole con was dependent on that guy, like, feeling a wire mm-hmm. through somebody's suit while hugging them for, like, half a second. Yeah. It's, like, that doesn't, that doesn't seem like a very well thought through con, like, if mm-hmm. he just missed it, like, I don't know. Um, so there there were just points throughout the film where the details were really, like, obviously and blatantly uh, just, like, not very well thought through or kind of missing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, a lot of the twists and a lot of the plot progressions just didn't really land with me. And it wasn't really made any better by some of, like, what I thought the cheesy, like, music, the score behind the film. Um, and I guess Bill Condon's direction to make it more tense or more dramatic. Mm -hmm. Well, with that, let's transition, uh, to, uh, Disney plus original, the Mandalorian, um, which is a series that both you and I have been pretty excitedly anticipating. Um, obviously following this Mandalorian boundary hunter, basically of the same race of Boba Fett and Django Fett from the original films. Um, what were your What were your thoughts on the premiere, Kyle? Yeah, so I consider
0: myself um, not a huge Star Wars fan. Of course, I've seen every Star Wars um, movie. I've watched um, some of the shows, like the Clone Wars. I've seen those. Mm-hmm. I like the source material, um, but I guess I'm not like as much of like a Star Wars fanboy as. I guess you yeah. might be.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, you can call me out. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I'm definitely a fanboy. Like those were probably some of the most prominent movies from my childhood. Uh, me, and my brother. I mean, like I couldn't t- count on my hands or toes. Or, I mean, like I've watched, <laughs> I've watched mm-hmm. all those movies like hundreds of times. You know, um, even read some some books in the Star Wars universe. Um, and I thought this was cool. So, the the entire series was written by John Favreau. Who obviously has been pretty integral to a lot of the Marvel movies, um, and it stars Pedro Pascal, who you might remember as Oberyn Martell from Game of Thrones, um, Nick Nolte, among others. Taika Waititi even makes an appearance uh, in the in the show. And like as a Star Wars fan, obviously I was stoked for the series, um, and I enjoy it just out of pure like Star Wars nostalgia and fandom.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But I did I did feel like it got it kind of contained a lot of those, like, Star Wars kind of tropey gimmicky stuff, right? Like, whether it's the cantina that um, the bounty hunters, they the Mandalorian's boss, um, kind of hangs out in, or um, the little, like, doorbell guy, that little eye that, like, pokes out of the door, and, like, I don't know, that just, like, touched on a lot of really, like, nostalgic Star Wars moments as opposed to doing too much original stuff. Mm-hmm. Um but besides that like I I really enjoyed it. Yeah,
0: so I watched both um the first and second episode back to back. Um mm-hmm. so I know the first episode came out on the release of Disney Plus, so I didn't really have that time in between to kind of focus just on the plot uh, on the pilot itself. But overall mm-hmm. it is super good to look at. I I'm watching Disney Plus when it's in my living room. I'm watching on you know, my Xbox One um which is also has like the 4k hdr so of course my disney plus app is gonna have the 4k and hdr and it looks really good um it's definitely one of the better looking star wars um things
1: that i've seen yeah yeah Um, i mean it it has a budget i think for the entire eight episodes of the first season of about 120 million i think so it has some pretty strong production value behind it Mm -hmm. um I would agree that it looks good. I don't know if you got this impression based on the first episode, but my experience was that it was really dark. Um, Like, you know how at Battle of Winterfell with Game of Thrones was kind of criticized for how dark it was shot? For me, like, within f- some of the first scenes of the first episode, it was really hard to see what was going on.
0: Yeah, no, I definitely picked up on that.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, but overall, like, the acting is, like, it- it's pretty good. Um, it's hard to really praise Pedro Pascal um, when his face is behind a mask the entire time, mm-hmm. um, but the ancillary cast characters I think complement him pretty well.
0: Yeah, and that kind of goes off of my connection to like the characters, so I'm I'm somewhat torn by uh, the decision for the Mandalorian to never take his helmet off. I know that mm-hmm. um, that Boba Fett did the same thing and it's mysterious, but like you said, Pedro Pascal is a great actor and I want to see some of that talent in action and be able to actually relate to the character by seeing facial expressions, um, things like that, where the first two episodes of watching this show, um, when it was over, I didn't feel like I had any sort of connection to the Mandalorian himself other characters yes um, but to him it's like okay well I still don't really know much about him I'm not really sure what this is actually like what's happening with his like he's just a bounty hunter is, is this show just gonna be a Star Wars dog the bounty hunter
1: right yeah he, he almost is more of a device than a character and mm-hmm. there's really only one or two instances where you kind of get a sense of his like emotional motivation with one of the flashbacks in the first episode. But even that one doesn't really land because he's got, it's like, it does these flashbacks and then like close cuts to his face, but he's like, it's just a bounty hunter mask. <laughs> like, right. it it doesn't like resonate emotionally because there's no emotion on that mask Yeah, in, in this like very vulnerable emotional moment. Um, But yeah, I, I think despite, you know, I think what... When they started doing these extensions of the Star Wars universe, they tried, I think, to be very nostalgic, and because that's what's going to resonate with fans the most. Um, and that's why I was a really big fan of The Last Jedi, the most recent Star Wars movie, because I feel like that one was the most unlike anything before it, and didn't really do a lot of that nostalgic, kind of tropey callbacks. Um, so I, I think this one, it, it's enjoyable because it's nostalgic, but it doesn't really like branch out into something too new well also star wars wasn't
0: really designed for small stories it seems like yeah. every film feels the need to like one-up the previous one mm-hmm. so it's like blow up the planet size death weapon now blow up the <laughs> bigger planet sized death weapon and it's yeah, like sure. and then all this stuff and with the galactic regime change i guess you can say like world ending mm-hmm. weapons and universe blown like all these weapons are gone um all these like universe defining moments. It doesn't really leave like room for smaller stories. And I think that's actually why the Mandalorian for me works so well, because it's a bit refreshing to like actually like hone in on like one character, um, and just follow him around this entire galaxy instead of worrying about these like huge things that are happening. Oh, the world's going to end. The universe is going to get blown up. Like I got a little bit tired of that. Just watching the films where the show gives you that nice refresher of digging deeper into the world of Star Wars or the galaxy of Star Wars.
1: Exactly. And what lies behind what you might see in some of the movies and like a more deeper kind of like character-based story. Mm -hmm. Um, But with that, um, do you want to kind of head into the recap of the show? Yeah. So the first two episodes? Mm Mm-hmm. So we're obviously going to be getting into some spoilers here. So if you haven't watched uh, Mandalorian episode one or two, we're going to proceed with the recap here. Um, so the the show starts set in like the post-Galactic Empire Star Wars universe. So about like five years after the events of what we know as Return of the Jedi. Um, and episode one opens on who we only know as the Mandalorian being introduced on this icy planet where he walks into this seedy sort of space bar uh, where he interrupts this gang of criminals who appear to be kind of picking on this sort of humanoid alien kind of looking guy that actually turns out to be the bounty hunter's mark. Um, He presents what the show calls as like a bounty puck, which basically shows how much somebody is like up for a bounty um, and basically matches the guy's identity. He transports this bounty to a ship where this large ice creature emerges from beneath the ice and they narrowly make their escape. Um, And his bounty, who is played by Horatio Sands of SNL fame, which is kind of funny, uh, begins to sort of poke around uh, the Mandalorian ship to try to escape and Mandalorian catches him and carbon freezes him and takes off.
0: Yeah, I thought it was cool to kind of see the different... Species in Star Wars. Yeah, a lot of times the same idea. we don't get to see a lot of the different types of walks of life that there is. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's cool, and again, that is bringing that a little bit of a refresher to the series because you are learning so much more about the universe and like these small nuances that maybe some of these larger films kind of leave out.
1: Uh, yeah, um, no, I agree. Like the the creatures to me have always been intriguing. Like. The acting, eh, but like the monster in this first scene was pretty freaking cool. Like, it reminds me of that scene in *Phantom Menace* where they're like under the water, and they get attacked by like this huge fish creature,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then like a bigger one that attacks it, and then there's like a bigger one that comes out. <laughs> um, so I've always been kind of fascinated by the creatures. So I thought that was pretty cool, and I have to imagine that that scene took up like a pretty large chunk of the budget. Um, oh, yeah, for this for this first episode, but. Yeah, like, the, the fight scene in the opening sequence was pretty cool. Um, establishes the Mandalorian's, like, prowess in combat. Um, and also some of the dynamics of this, like, bounty hunting profession, such as, like, the bounty pucks, um, which I thought was pretty cool because it gives it kind of some more legitimacy in my mind. Right. It's And, again, the whole thing kind of starts off with
0: these cool, like, cinematic shots where it kind of seems like almost like a Clint Eastwood like spaghetti Western at times.
1: Yeah. And that that's actually what I think this genre is classified as, is they call it like a space Western, right? It's kind of borrows mm-hmm. some of those elements of spaghetti Westerns, um, but stylizes them in the way of like futuristic kind of space, space elements.
0: And then we have uh, the, the next scene where you get introduced to <laughs> Carl Weathers. You want to talk about that?
1: Yeah, so <laughs> I'm ashamed to admit that like when I first saw Carl Weathers, I thought it was Billy D. Williams and I <laughs> thought it was like a Lando, <laughs> mm-hmm. like a Lando reintroduction. Um, but yeah, so Carl Weathers, this character who is called Grief Carga is essentially, I guess like the, like the bounty, like proprietor or like sort of like the ringleader. Uh, and he hangs out in this cantina where the Mandalorian presents the bounty puck for his bounty and expects payment. Um, and it appears that there's kind of slim pickings when it comes to bounties, but um, Carl's Carl Weathers character, Grief Carga, informs the Mandalorian of this large bounty for which there isn't a bounty puck, so it aut- automatically kind of piques um, Mandalorian's interest. And the Mandalorian goes to meet this client, um, who is protected by like Imperial stormtrooper bodyguards. Now it's not to say that necessarily they are stormtroopers, but they're dressed in the armor. Um, And this client, who is played by Warner Herzog, uh, basically offers the Mandalorian a large amount of Beskar steel, which is what we come to understand is like Mandalorians used to own all this Beskar steel and then we're basically like what seems to be almost hunted down and exploited for the steel. Um, But the only information that the, the client can offer the Mandalorian is the bounty's age and his last known whereabouts. Um, so the client offers this sort of like down payment of this slab of Beskar steel and the Mandalorian accepts the job. Do you think that we'll ever
0: find out his actual name or they're just going to keep calling him Mandalorian?
1: Yeah, I think Pedro Pascal accidentally said the name of the character in an interview before it was like intended to be released. So if you look on like Wikipedia or IMDB, you can see his name. I'm not going to put it there for any listeners, but if you want to look. Uh, it's there oh okay yeah um i thought this was cool as well introducing this sort of dynamic of the beskar steel um mm-hmm. as this like form of really valuable currency and it turns out it's something that's really important to the mandalorians because um the mandalorian takes this beskar steel to a mandalorian like smith and presents it to him And they like meld it, they smelt it into this pauldron, which is essentially like this shoulder piece of armor. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is the kind of the cheesy scene that we were referencing earlier, where as this uh, smith is smelting the Beskar steel into a pauldron, like it like flashes back to presumably the Mandalorian and his family trying to escape this like attack. And to me, it doesn't land because you're not able to really see his face, right?
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, like, are you sad? Are you, like, bloodthirsty because this happened?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, so from there, um, the Mandalorian arrives on this, like, Tatooine-like planet, which I assumed was Tatooine from the start. I was a little confused about that, which is actually called Arvala 7 Mm. and is attacked by these creatures called Blurgs. And he nearly escapes by being saved from an attack by this vapor farmer named Quill, um, who was played by Nick Nolte, um, who I I immediately recognize as Nick Nolte from The Voice. I don't know if you not until I not until after the ship. episode. Yeah, and so this Nick Nolte's vapor farmer character offers to help him, um, like he's helped past b- bounty hunters that have come through who have all seemingly died in the attempt to capture this bounty. Um, and then we get this scene where the Mandalorian attempts to break a Blurg to ride because they need some way to ride to the encampment. Um, what were your thoughts on the, on the scene, this introduction to Arvala 7 and Quill? Um, so I really like Quill.
0: I think he, um, he's a cool guy. I think yeah, well, he gets kind of ends conversations with just saying, oh, I've spoken. Yeah, and it's, like, okay, well...
1: it's kind of it's kind of yoda like
0: yeah and then you have these blurgs which to me could have probably been cooler looking um they like i think quill mentions oh well you have to ride this cuz you can't get there without riding the blurg and we we see their like their journey and i mean they probably could have walked it it just probably would have taken longer but
1: <laughs> yeah or like driven a spaceship i don't know like to me that's always struck me about star wars movies is they like land on the surface of a planet and then like i don't know if it's for stealth reasons or just like for the sake of the plot but they never just like fly their spaceship to where they're trying to go <laughs> yeah you know <laughs> like they land on the planet and they either like take a speed bike or they ride a blurg or they walk and it's like i mean if it's an entire planet <laughs> like right it could take a while to cover right yeah so yeah, yeah that kind
0: of struck mm-hmm. me and then him breaking the blurg and and getting derided and that was I mean there was some some comedy there which was nice um, but again I think the Blurgs should have like looked cooler um, especially with their role that Quill's mm-hmm. like saying that they have on this journey um, they're just like weird little things and they made the funny <laughs> joke that it's a female because all the males die during um, mating <laughs> season
1: yeah yeah, I guess I I thought it was kinda cheesy, but like quill is like gives him the reason, Well, you're a Mandalorian, which is like why he should break the blurg. Mm-hmm. So I feel like they're trying to build up this sort of like legacy or I guess um like oral tradition around the Mandalorians and their like prowesses. I guess one warriors, but like why why would he be expected to be able to break the blurg just because he's a Mandalorian? Um, right. I thought that was a little weird.
0: But I guess it worked. He ended up breaking it.
1: Yeah, I guess so. So they break the Blurg, and Quill leads uh, the Mandalorian to the encampment where this bounty is being kept, which we see is heavily guarded. Um, and he leaves him to it with an I have spoken. Uh, and the Mandalorian creeps up to get a better view and sees a very confident and maybe stupid bounty droid waltz right up <laughs> to the encampment and kind of robotically demand that they present the bounty to him uh he fires off a few shots which immediately sends people scattering behind cover and arming themselves and the mandalorian obviously cursing the robot's actions uh comes down to the battle and helps ig11 the name of the the battle droid kind of battle their way inside um i i thought this was a really cool scene um I thought it was kind of a funny dynamic how, when the odds were against him, IG 11 kept like trying to initiate like a self destruct sequence, <laughs> and he was like, No, s- stop it. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> stop trying to kill yourself. Um, the droid technology thought, was cool. Yeah, it was really cool. Do you want to talk a bit about that?
0: Well, it's, I, again, I've never seen a droid like that and it's just able to like have this full 360 degree like field of vision and. It can just, like, snap on people with the guns that it's, like, dual-wielding and Mm -hmm. um, with precision aim. It seems like it's able to take quite a bit of damage, which I guess is necessary.
1: Yeah, I was actually a little confused by that because there were points where it looked like maybe it had been out of commission and -hmm. it really wasn't too damaged. But, yeah, I thought it was cool. It had, like, cameras all over over it. Almost makes you think maybe that's what we have to look forward to in terms of warfare (laughs) in maybe a few decades, right? right? with all the prospects of, like, the Boston Dynamics robots and things like that. It'd be Um, helpful they didn't self-destruct themselves. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you'd think there may be a little more of a threshold for the (laughs) self-destruct sequence. Right. Um, And then what I thought was cool was the sort of, like, laser minigun that the Mandalorian takes over. Oh, yeah. So through the years, we've sort of seen different iterations of Star Wars weapons, but I thought this one was pretty cool, like this
0: rail gun. So before we get into revealing, like, the bounty, did you have any sort of, like, inklings, or did you have any guesses of who they're actually going after? Like, obviously it had to be someone or something that we could relate to as Star Wars fans.
1: Yeah, I I really wasn't sure what to expect, and I thought this twist landed pretty well. Um, I thought maybe, you know, maybe some sort of Jedi character... Or or just some sort of nondescript bounty that played some sort of important role. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really didn't know what to expect.
0: Yeah, I wasn't really sure either. Um, I didn't know. If, at first, I thought it was going to be some sort of like artifact or something, but mm-hmm. I guess um, that wouldn't really qualify as a bounty. I mean, maybe it could, but... Sure. Yeah, Yeah. Sure. sure.
1: Eventually, the Mandalorian and the bounty droid, IJ-11, battle their way inside to this sort of fortified um, base. And the Mandalorian has this sort of location fob, which beeps as he gets closer to the bounty. And they discover that it's coming from this little egg-looking pod thing. And when they open it up, they discover the bounty inside, which turns out to be none other than a baby like Yoda-like character, which I thought (laughs) super cute, like Mm -hmm. this baby Yoda. Um, And I'm really not sure what to call it because it's obviously not Yoda being after the events of Return of the Jedi. um, And they never really give us what type of species Yoda is. Right, because the robot made the, or maybe it was the
0: Mandalorian said, oh, well, I was told this thing was has been around for like 50 years. 50 years. Yeah, then the robot makes the comment that species age differently, Mm -hmm. which we obviously saw from Yoda being, I mean, that dude was like 500 years old.
1: Yeah, he was super old. Um, Yeah, I thought thought it was interesting. Like, really, I think this twist played really well. Um, Really wasn't expecting this baby Yoda. Um, IG-11 is obviously under different bounty directives and says that he was ordered to kill it. Um, and as he's prepared to kill it we hear a blaster shot fire and it turns out that the Mandalorian kills IG-11 and the episode closes with the Mandalorian sort of reaching out to this baby Yoda in what I guess we can presume is awe or curiosity but you can't really tell because he has a mask on (laughs) right so going back to IG-11 having like different directives
0: so I guess um, well we don't know who he got his bounty from but we do know that the Mandalorian got his bounty from I can't remember his name but it seemed like they wanted him, the baby Yoda, alive because they were going to do some sort of like testing mm-hmm. on him. Is that kind of what was happening?
1: Yeah, what I gathered from it, so what we didn't touch on in the recap when he met this client of his uh, was that there was a doctor who also kind of entered the room during the negotiation. And he was the one who I think asked for the baby Yoda to be returned alive. Um, so, yeah, I mean, my speculation is either some sort of testing or. Maybe they're afraid of maybe some power that this baby Yoda possesses. Um, but yeah, I guess the circumstances the circumstances around the different directives is kind of mysterious, but um, we get to learn a little bit more about that in episode two. Yep, so uh,
0: you t- want to get into it?
1: Sure. Yeah, so episode two quickly gets into following the Mandalorian as he tries to escort baby Yoda back to his ship. Um, there's a scene where he fights off an ambush from a bunch of bounty hunters trying to kill this Baby Yoda, and he gets injured in the process. Um, as he's trying to kind of fix his wounds, uh, Baby Yoda hops out of his egg <laughs> and kind of like waddles over to the Mandalorian and kind of mm-hmm. reaches out as if trying to like help or something, and the Mandalorian picks him up, puts him back in his egg. Repeat the process as Baby Yoda kind of hops out and waddles over to him again, <laughs> which I thought was super cute. Like, I, I'm a big fan of this Baby Yoda. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, the Mandalorian finally makes it back to his ship and discovers that it's being basically salvaged and torn apart by Jawas.
0: Yes, which I've always disliked.
1: Yeah, and this was where the kind of the, the disconnect in the details was for me was that I thought, like, this planet really isn't Tatooine, right? Like, it's been confirmed that this is some other planet. Mm-hmm. So, does that mean that Jawas, like, just exist on these, like, desert-like planets, or are they just, like, native to Tatooine? It could um, be, like, a climate-based thing.
0: Like, they only go where it's desert.
1: Sure. Yeah. And then, so. Upon discovering these jawas tearing apart his ship, uh, he chases after them in their big, sort of rolling, (laughs) uh, like salvage shop Mm -hmm. um, and jumps aboard and tries to confront the jawas and is ultimately kind of ganged up upon as the jawas like pull some gang stuff and just shoot him off the top of the. Off the top of the vehicle, and he fails in his efforts to get his parts back. Um, I don't know about you, but, like, watching some of these action sequences, and even just the Mandalorian, like, walking in general, his suit doesn't really look all that comfortable. No. Certainly not. You you get that sense?
0: Yeah, not very protective, either.
1: Yeah, like, he was easily kind of sliced apart by the bounty hunters that ambushed him. Um, And just, like, the way he walks... Even when he's not like under attack or fighting, it just seems kind of awkward. His mm-hmm. head's at kind of like a strange angle, um, so that that's that's one thing I noticed. Um, and then, <laughs> so he comes to like hours later, and the, the thing that I thought was weird was like, if he was being ambushed by bounty hunters beforehand, when he's passed out after the attack from the Jawas for like hours and he wakes up and baby Yoda's just there unharmed Mm -hmm. seemed a little strange to me. Yeah. Like where'd everyone go? Yeah, exactly. And it seemed
0: like to me, um, so the second episode of the Mandalorian is, I think they're mostly like 35 minutes long, Mm -hmm. but if you boil down like the important plot points, you could pretty much like summarize everything that happened in chapter two, which is called the child in like Mm -hmm. 10 seconds. Um, so for me, it kind of felt like this episode was kind of like stalling for time in a way. And with it only being the second episode of the series, that has me a little worried, um, about how the rest of the series is going to turn out. But like you said, it's cool to see like the Mandalorian in action facing off against the Jawas and, um, doing the little, that chase scene, with, uh, with that sand crawler and those things definitely move a lot faster than I thought they would. Yeah. Um, no, I,
1: mm-hmm. I, I thought that was a really well done action scene as well. Um, but yeah, I think like you're saying this episode, the first one was about, I think 45 minutes, which led me to believe that the episodes are going to be longer, but yeah, this one was like a little over 30 and really didn't contain all that much in terms of like plot progression. Um, So, yeah, I guess it could be a little foreboding for the rest of the series. Maybe they're saving budget or trying to kind of fill an eight-episode season. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, so there's really not too much left in the episode. Uh, Essentially, the Mandalorian meets back up with Quill and asks for his help with facilitating a bargain with the Jawas because, of course, Quill speaks Jawa. (laughs) And, of course, it wouldn't be Star Wars if there were
0: easy missions.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, so they meet with the Jawas, and since the Mandalorian is unwilling to give up either his Beskar Steel pauldron or Baby Yoda, which are really the only two things that the Jawas want, Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, um, they demand that he retrieves what they call the egg for the Jawas. And the egg turns out to belong to this huge, like, rhinoceros-like creature, um, where the Mandalorian enters its cave, and it wakes it up, and it violently attacks the Mandalorian, um... Charge after charge, you know, he's taking a beating. His um, his armor is getting destroyed. He's really just getting tossed around as Baby Yoda basically looks on. Um, maybe not really understanding what's going on, maybe a little bit in fear. Um, and then as the Mandalorian is practically ready to submit and give up during this kind of rhinoceros creature's last charge, um, we see miraculously the Baby Yoda uses the force to stop this giant creature long enough for the Mandalorian to kill it and subdue it and then the baby Yoda sort of collapses out of fatigue.
0: And I do think that the Mandalorian show does really well, um, at mm-hmm. least so far, is making fight scenes actually like feel dangerous. Um again with sure. normal Star Wars movies, it's like Jedi's cut down stormtroopers and droids by the thousands and like these Mm -hmm. fights kind of can feel somewhat like You know just kind of extra and superfluous like there's no
1: stakes involved
0: Yeah, like this one like with this rhinoceros. He finds himself in like a pretty Much of a fight for his life and the stakes actually feel real and it's it's a little thing but Something that I think makes the series feel a lot more impactful
1: Yeah, for sure. I think Yeah, like you said, like most scenes, even if it's not a Jedi, like say it's like Luke in the first of the old movies, there's kind of like laser beams kind of flying by your head, but not really getting anywhere close. And you're having like a full conversation while you're engaged in this gunfight. Um, But I think what is really cool, this almost reminds me of um, Daniel Craig's James Bond movies, where James Bond, like the action had always been like James Bond is largely untouched, unscathed, comes away. You know, fully intact. And what really I really loved about, especially like Casino Royale, was the fight scenes he was getting beat up to and he was vulnerable. There are moments where you feel like he might be like kind of under the gun. And uh, I think they did sort of the same, did really well with doing the same with this uh, action
0: scene. And I think his connection with this mysterious baby Yoda will probably Mm -hmm. develop into something interesting. Um, Still, like after the 30. 35 minutes or whatever it was of this episode there's nothing new learned about the Mandalorian or why he makes the choices he makes right? and I guess that's because of the of his race like that's what they do like Boba Fett wore like his mask and he was mysterious and he was like a pretty alluring like supporting character but in the Mandalorian like Pedro Pascal's not only the main character for long stretches he's like the only character that you see on screen so and of course he's a guy who keeps his face completely covered and almost never talks and kind of going back to like Clint Eastwood movies like when he played the man with no name um, Mm. you could actually like you could study his eyes you could read his face and try to like understand his motives where this one it's just like well you don't really know what's happening sure
1: yeah I I guess really the, the closest you get to an emotional moment in either episode, is maybe when he kills IG-11 for Baby Yoda. And then also, like, when he's saying goodbye to Quill at the end of this episode, you know, where he kind of offers to give him part of the bounty and, like, thanks him for his help during the journey and things like that. Um, but that's about as, like, emotionally vulnerable as the character really gets. Um, so, so, yeah, so we'll pick up after the battle. So Baby Yoda passes out. Um, the Mandalorian trades the egg to the Jawas, which turns out they just wanted to eat. Mm -hmm. I don't know if maybe it just tastes good or if it's some sort of like drug to them and they just like feverishly attack the egg which I thought was kind of funny and gross Um, And then yeah it was kind of gross and then we see this montage scene which like I I think I've yet to see a montage in any sort of Star Wars movie and this might have been a first for me uh, as Quill in The Mandalorian fixes ship They say their goodbyes and the Mandalorian and Yoda take off into space, presumably to return um, to the client who gave the Mandalorian this bounty. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, Any speculation as to what you think might be happening in future episodes, given the events of these two? Um, So I assume
0: the baby's backstory will be explained eventually. Um, Mm -hmm. But it seems kind of like the pace that the show is moving right now, that might be a long ways off. Um and of course like next week's episode could be incredible. You know, every episode from here on out could be like thrilling and compelling, but when you're releasing a show like this um weekly, it helps to like hook viewers with some kind of mystery or cliffhanger or or even a character whose survival people feel invested in. Um I'm sure. So right now I don't really feel much of that, but I do think that um and I hope that next episode him and um, him as in the Mandalorian and mm-hmm. baby Yoda, I'm going to assume they're going to go <laughs> back to the bounty hunters guild or whatever. And then mm-hmm. they're not going to want, they're not going to want something more from the child and the Mandalorian is going to have this connection and
1: saves them again or something like that. But
0: yeah, what are your thoughts?
1: yeah I think well like you said that kind of cliffhanger element I think was really strong in the first one when you kind of discover baby Yoda and you want to know what happens next not so much at the end of the second episode Um, but yeah I think like to me the general plot points of the next one seem like pretty fairly predictable like you said I think they're going to return to the client Um, they're probably going to have some sort of nefarious interests in baby Yoda whether that's like destroying him or like exploiting his powers in some way. And I think the Mandalorian will probably have some sort of change of heart. Uh, I could also see Carl Weathers' character, Grief Karga, maybe grudgingly being pulled into uh, protecting the baby or, you know, helping with the escape in some way. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I, you know, through two episodes, I've I've been pretty, pretty invested. Um, We've got eight episodes total taking us through pretty much the end of the year. Um, And each episode is going to be directed by pretty much someone new at at most points, including one director that took me kind of aback. but Bryce Dallas Howard, um, who, if you're familiar, Mm -hmm. um, she's going to be directing episode four, which was kind of eye-opening to me. I don't really know what sort of connection she's had to Star Wars in the past or really any sort of directorial experience.
0: Yeah, and I kind of have,
1: I have like a stray thought here sorry about that but
0: it seems like the Mandalorian and Quill seemed confused by what the Yoda baby did to the space rhino hmm. oh, well, that was kind of a weird sentence to say because um, <laughs> like you have like other Star Wars IP has suggested that the universe at large is kind of they understand like what the force is and that it does exist not so much as like how it works and how it operates but it seems like most people in the star Wars universe know that the force is real and it seemed like quill had no idea. And the Mandalorian seemed like somewhat silent on the subject. So like maybe he knows more than he's letting on. So maybe they'll explore kind of how that kind of ties into the the storyline.
1: Sure. Yeah. I think the, uh, the element of the force in the story is really intriguing, and yeah, maybe it is that like there are maybe isolated parts of the universe where it's re- generally not understood, or like you said, maybe maybe he's holding something back. Um, but yeah, overall, I've en- I've enjoyed the first two episodes, and I'm looking forward to the third later this week. Yeah, so again, if you like The
0: Mandalorian, if you like the Star Wars episode, check it out. Leave us some feedback on what you think of the show. Um, We're going to try to hit each episode as the weeks go on. Um, Maybe not full recaps, but we'll definitely want to throw our insights in there. So again, you can find our show everywhere the podcasts are being played. That's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. And next week, we have on a pretty special guest of our show, Um, One of our friends um, who also grew up in Virginia Beach, her name is Mia. She's been in the industry, whether it's in social media, having her own shows um, on television. Um, So I think that'll be really good and fun.
1: Yeah, that should be a lot of fun. Um, So thanks for listening today, and we'll talk to you next week. All right, bye.